Welcome to Attenuation, a weekly podcast where two friends come together to drink beer, discuss beer styles and trends, and just generally ruminate on the meaning of life, aka beer. If you enjoy your time with us, we invite you to become a weekly listener and subscribe to the podcast. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode 68 of Attenuation, a beer podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since 8th grade, Stephen. Hello. Good evening, sir. Good evening. How are you today? Uh, Good. I'm ready to drink some beer. Are you ready to drink beer and talk about beer? Always. Good. So it's my, today... Uh, it's my lot in life to drink beer and talk about beer. <laughs> well, at least on Thursdays. When on Thursdays. Well, when we record. This comes yeah. out on Mondays, but behind the scenes knowledge, it's, we record on Thursdays. Thursday. It's the magic of the internet. (laughs) Okay, so today's topic is we're doing another deep dive into stone brewing. Yes, that's a hot topic right now. (laughs) Yes, it might be inspired by current events. Yes, but we needed to sort of look back, learn a little bit more, kind of see how that whole situation evolved, because I think it's interesting. Mm -hmm. We'll see. We'll see how we feel about stone at the end of this episode. (laughs) Okay. All right, so before we get into that, we have to do our favorite part of the podcast, which is the drinking beer segment. So I introduce my beer, give nose notes, Stephen does the same, and then we give tasting notes. Jason prepared for this one years in advance. (laughs) Yes, so I have a story. So in honor of stone brewing, I have had an arrogant bastard ale in my beer fridge for an indeterminate amount of time. (laughs) I don't know where I got this. How old is the beer fridge? It can't be more than four years old, I think. Okay. I think. The beer fridge is older than that. Okay. But I don't think this existed in our previous, where we lived before we moved into this house. I do not think this, I moved this. (laughs) 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 I hope not, because then it's really old. And I've like desperately searched it for a date, and I cannot find one. Oh, man. But anyways, this is a, this beer had a pretty big influence on me, and it's a pretty famous stone brewing beer it's i kind of remember it as like one of the first fancy beers i ever drank so i have not had one in a very long time so i'm pretty excited hopefully it's still good yeah it's a strong dark ale meant to be aged i'm glad one of us had a stone beer to drink though (laughs) okay poor it looks there's not like anything floating in it as far as i can tell no oh there might be this might be older than i thought that's fine we're gonna try it so it's a very dark reddish brown and there's a pretty viscous head or active head kind of forming a carpet there of about two centimeters and it's sticking around Ooh, it actually smells so good like caramel orange pine a really like biscuity note honey even okay interesting man i don't not remember what this beer tastes like okay cool <laughs> i'm excited Hey, that, that's awesome. So I'm drinking a beer called Hostile Hybrid. It is from the Brewing Project in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I think. Somewhere in Wisconsin. Oh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Not sure where that is in Wisconsin. But uh, yeah, the Brewing Project, Hostile Hybrid. It's a barrel-aged brown ale with cinnamon, brown sugar, and vanilla. So kind of excited. I like those adjuncts. And I love red and brown ales. I'm pretty jealous of this one. I know. I'm kind of excited. I'm hoping this is like a really good dessert beer. The nose is sort of caramel, maple syrup, 
a little bit of like a cherry note, like a bourbon note. I'm, that's probably a little bit from the barrel aging. I don't. It mm. doesn't say specifically what it was barrel aged in, but yeah, like a little bit of a bourbon note. But yeah, just very like vanilla. I'm getting a touch of that cinnamon, almost like a bourbon soaked cinnamon roll. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. All right. See what this right. tastes like. Cheers. Cheers. Well, Stephen, we have to cancel the podcast. Oh, uh, why? So I'm gonna give I'm gonna reveal a lot of our secrets. I don't know if you, you listeners know at home, but we do pause the podcast between the nose notes, the cheers, and the tasting. We are not able to taste beer and then immediately rattle off like seven flavors we tasted. Are you giving away all the internet magic secrets today? <laughs> I'm, I'm giving away that one because <laughs> I also like to look at you know to confirm that I know what I'm talking about and for whatever reason I noticed in the because I had a bunch of tabs pulled up for the when we're recording that Eric and Pastor Dale is not a stone beer anymore so uh, I am not drinking a stone beer <laughs> so it was indeed a stone beer that they debuted in 1997 but the arrogant brand apparently split off of stone in ni- 2015 and it's called the Arrogant Consortia. Hmm. So they make they Arrogant make Bastard, Bastard, Oak like Arrogant Bastard, Double Bastardale, Death Charge, Double Bastard. Yeah, they make a bunch of Bastards. All the, air, all the iterations of Arrogant Bastard. That's, how does that even happen? I, this is blowing my mind. I did not know this. Like it, 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 It's acting as if like the beer itself was like, peace out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, who did that exactly? I mean, it must yeah, be somebody... Maybe the the brewer left or something. We are post. No, because I think okay, we are definitely postscripting. We are ha- definitely postscripting this. I'm writing it down right now so we don't forget. Because in my mind, in my imaginative mind, I'm just thinking about like all the kegs of arrogant bastard being like, "We're out of here." <laughs> <laughs> they all got up and left. They're like, "We're starting our own thing." Yeah. <laughs> See you later, Greg. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. So, anyways. I haven't even had that much beer yet. <laughs> this is going to be a good episode. Those are my updates on the revelations that came upon me in the last two and a half minutes. But okay, now tell me how it. the beer is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you how the beer is. This beer is so good. This is another one. Uh, five years old. <laughs> it's got floaties in it. I'm a little nervous. I'll die, but it tastes good, so I'm sure it's fine. But it has, um, it's like bitter malt, orange, caramel, pine, like the really bitter piney hops, maybe even a touch of like black pepper. And then you do get a little wave of alcohol near the end, but this is solid. And I could see like, there's a reason this is a gateway beer to, gateway beer to craft beers. Um, it's different, but like, well, to me, it's totally recognizable now, but I, I could see like if you hadn't really drank a beer like this before, it's like one of your first craft beers. It would it would definitely make an impression on you, and I guess I kind of forgot how good it was because I just never really returned to it after I drank it. In the early days of me getting in a craft beer, I thought getting one of these was like a special occasion, and now I see that I was correct. <laughs> yeah, so, well, yeah. I think, and we can, you know, looking at the history of the Stone when they brewed it, they said it was a mistake, mm-hmm. and you know they weren't setting out to brew this exact beer, but they did by accident, and then. They liked it, and they just started making it and selling it, and was selling out over and over and over again. And they realized, like, oh, I guess we should just make this all the time, which is so cool because I think 
uh, and we'll get into this a little bit more about Stone, but, you know, in the early 80s and 90s and stuff, people were being challenged by some of these styles that were coming up, but they liked them, you know? It's it's so fascinating to me that people there were enough people clamoring for these like new craft styles of beer that you know, yeah, which fueled the success. I think they said something about like the when they first started selling when Sierra Nevada first started selling pale ale, like I could be getting this wrong, but like only like one in ten people that tried it liked it. But <laughs> the people that liked it really liked it. Like <laughs> most people don't like it, but the people that like it are like I want more of that, make more. Yeah, are so now it's, are now loyal customers. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of fascinating. So I feel like this beer was probably maybe uh, very similar, like because um, they said yeah when they started uh, making it, it was selling out. Like it would just sell out, and they were like, oh okay, I guess this this is a definitely <laughs> de- a demand for this kind of mistake we made. But yeah, super cool. But mm-hmm, it holds up. Obviously, not a st- I guess not a stone brew anymore. But um, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's solid. Thumbs up for sure. How's yours, Steven? Mine's good. It's interesting. So it's uh very light bodied. I think I forgot to say it's like seven percent alcohol, uh a dark brown with like a, a nice thin head, but yeah, very light bodied. This one I think has the most sort of Coca Cola notes that I've ever had in a beer. Uh very oh, really like a, like vanilla coke is what it tastes like. Cool. Uh, yeah, so sort of the flavors I'm getting are Coca-Cola, vanilla, the little bit of bourbon, and then just a touch of that cinnamon sort of heat spiciness at the end. But yeah, very vanilla Coke flavors. That's kind of the dominating flavors. I want to get my hands on one of these. Yeah, it's good. It's an easy drinker for sure. Yeah, it sounds really good. So yeah. thumbs up on that one? or Thumbs up. Yeah. All right, very good. Two thumbs up day. That's always a good day. Kind of looks like Coke in the glass. <laughs> All right, cool. So that was our drinking beer segment. Next, we have postscripts and beer news. Postscripts are when we uh, correct something or return to something from a previous episode, which we've written one down for next time, but we didn't have any last time. So, But we do have two items of beer news, and Stephen has the first one. Yes. Well, this weekend is the annual release of HO Rubicite from Jester King Brewing in Austin. And tomorrow, which is Friday the 15th, they are doing an in-person, exclusively in-person release. So you have to be there. They're pretty good at, um, you can order it online and go pick it up. And you can do proxies where, you know, Jason wanted to order one. I could go pick his up and that kind of thing. So they're really good about that. But I think for whatever reason, they brewed a lot less this year. And I don't know whether that they're purposely doing it to create demand or... They just didn't have, you know, I think they do a lot of sort of barrel aging and blending and, you know, it just might have depended on what they had available to blend together to make the beer that they wanted to create in the end. So so anyway, it sounds like it's going to be a little harder to get. So they're doing this in-person release tomorrow. And then you, they're also bottling these like Magnum bottles, They're like a liter and a half bottles. Oh, like, dang. Yeah. So the equivalent of like two wine bottles, um, and you can get one of those. That's a hundred bucks for that. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna go to that, get some bottles of Nature Riverside. After that, anything that they don't sell tomorrow, they'll make available uh, online and stuff. But they'll also okay. be pouring it on tap tomorrow, starting tomorrow, and then kind of between tomorrow and Saturday, they're just doing a big like, release party, and so they'll have a lot going on. It's gonna be hot 
Oh, is it? What's the it temperature? Is, you're, we're on a streak of, I mean, it's been 106, 107 every day here. Oh, for, no. For weeks on end. I did not know this. Steven, you're suffering. Yeah, it's pretty bad. We lost our power last night for like three hours because of a car accident that took out a pole. Yeah, it was pretty brutal the in the house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was pretty gnarly. So Yikes. All right. Well, hopefully. Yeah, the cool AC's off. been just running nonstop <laughs> for weeks now. <laughs> so it's not. It's going to be hot there and uncomfortable. But yeah. Hopefully the line is not too long. I can get my beer, maybe get a pour of something, and, and then get out of there. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah. So I'm going to pick up a bottle for Jason. Yeah. Because it's tradition now. <laughs> yeah, we got to drink it on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and um, and then I have four other coworkers that <laughs> that all all want a bottle. So I'm going to get my six bottle limit. So nice. I only, I only get one of them. You're such a generous person. Well, it's such a trip out there. Like, it really is just pain in the butt to get out there. Yeah. So if I'm going and other people want beer, I might as well get it for them while I'm out there. Yeah, that's a good plan. So, yeah, HR Riverside release this weekend. Very excited for that. Awesome. Okay, and then I have also very exciting news. We are going to go on Beer Bro Venture 2, the remix. Actually, it's the ret- <laughs> it's like the return. <clears throat> yeah, this gonna- is the... Uh- this is the first time it's happening, right? Since no, yeah. they did it last. No, oh, no. they didn't do it last year either, did they? Nope. So this is the we first, first in person Great American Beer Festival. What? We're super excited because we went in. Must have been 2019, right? And yep, then they canceled 2020 and 2021. Yes. So not only is this the first in person beer festival back. I mean, they've held the fe- they've held the competition. Yeah, the beer competition, but this will be the first time we're going back since COVID, and it's also the 40th anniversary. So it's going to be a big party. Yeah, we're super excited. You said you had a a little bit. Stephen was good enough to purchase the tickets, but he said there there are some complications. Well, so I am a member of the Homebrewers Association, and because of that, you get a pre-sale. You get pre-sale access. So tickets went were available to the public on Wednesday, but they, they had a pre-sale on Tuesday. And so you get access, early access to all the sessions. And then you also there's also a session on Saturday afternoon that's the members-only session. So only Homebrewer Association members can buy tickets to that. And that one's fun. We've done that, I think, every year we went. And it's just good because I think they pour some special stuff that day. And it's just... I like the afternoon session. It's a little yeah. bit less like fewer like partiers because we're we're actually it'll be a big contrast because we're going Friday night and then Saturday afternoon, and Friday night is the like probably the biggest sort of just party and yeah people just go to hang out and drink beer, not as much of the like beer nerds. So that's why I like the Saturday afternoon. So I was really excited to get these tickets, <laughs> and I was at work and like I I have. Like, I can do all the stuff on my phone at work, but it was just, and I was going to be available, and then all of a sudden, like, I wasn't going to be available, and there's just a lot going on, so I'm, like, trying to work and also get tickets on my phone, <laughs> and the pre-sale code was not working, and I was freaking out that I was going to not get tickets, and then... I finally got through and then I realized that, you know, it's been, what, two years since I even got on this app to buy tickets. 
because it's like an it's like a Ticketmaster app, but not it's like Access or something. So okay, it's a, not an app I ever use to buy tickets for anything. So I get on there and like the card that's loaded, it's preloaded, expired, it's huh? expired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm like preload, and of course, almost any almost any time I go to like put a card in on my phone somewhere, I have cards like from Apple Pay that like preload in. I don't even need the physical card anymore. Oh no, this was not preloading. So I had to go get my wallet and <laughs> like manually enter it. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss out on tickets. But come to find out, the pre sale codes weren't working for anybody. Oh, okay. So it wasn't yeah. just you. No, it wasn't just me. So I saw something later on Instagram where they said, okay, pre sale codes have been fixed. You should be able to get on now. So. However, I was able to get it through, or they started working or fixed the problem while I was frantically trying to get on there. Yeah. <laughs> but there were plenty of tickets available, so I got them. Okay, good. Yeah. I mean, I knew that worst case scenario, I could just try again the next day with right. the regular people. <laughs> <laughs> the general public. <laughs> but. No, uh, I got the tickets, so I'm very excited. And has it subsequently sold out? You know, I haven't checked. I think there were still tickets available for a while. I'm looking it up. I would think that it has, but I don't know. I guess I will say, like, from over the last, like, five years that they've actually held the festival, the time it was taking to sell out was getting more and more. But they were also getting bigger, too, so yeah. the number of tickets were available were more, so... I don't know if it's sold out. I think you might still be able to get tickets, so. Okay, we weren't at any risk, but it was close. <laughs> we, we didn't know if you were at risk, yeah. So, yeah. So, that'll be that'll be a beer adventure, and we'll definitely report back on, or maybe even record a podcast in Colorado. Yeah. My favorite time is that, like, day or two before where they finally do, like, a full release yes. of what beers are going to be there, and I'm just, like, frantically, like, scrambling through searching and making start a list planning. of all the places yep. I want to go and all the places we have to plan. stop at. It's, mm-hmm. it's really terrible, but I'm like a kid on Christmas. So that's October 7th and 8th. Yeah. Which feels like far forever away. away. It's only three months. It'll be here in a heartbeat. <laughs> feels like a long time. It will be cool again at that point. <laughs> <May> hopefully. <laughs> at least in Colorado it will be, hopefully. There's no end in sight for a hundred plus days here. Yikes. Pray for us. Pray for us Texans. I will. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. Let's you want to jump into the main topic? Let's do it. Deep dive into stone brewing. Just in time for them to be purchased. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have a long history. And truth be told, they did stay independent for a very long time. That is true. So got to give him credit for that. So we want to start, I guess, at the beginning. Well, it was founded in 1996, but actually the two founders, Steve Wagner and Greg Koch, they met in 1989 and then subsequently met again. So um, Steve Wagner had a band that rented studio space in uh, Greg's rehearsal studio, I guess. So they're both musicians. But they met again in a classroom at UC Davis. <laughs> I did not know that. That's crazy. UC Davis has it was like a home of a lot of it's like the birthplace of a lot of craft brewers because they have a really great brewery program there. Mm, okay. 
But um, yeah, they met in a class called a sensory evaluation of beer, which now makes me want to take that class. And they rekindled that friendship. And then that was 1993 when they took that class. And then 1996 was when they first opened the Stone Brewing location in San Marcos, California, Southern California. Yeah, 96. Uh, yeah. And it was funny. We were talking in the pre-roll about like, and, you know, we've done that whole like coffee, the first wave, second wave coffee and stuff. And we we're kind of talking about where stone brewing falls in the sort of waves of craft beer. I know that Greg Koch, one of his early inspirations for beer, like the first time he really realized that there was better beer than the macro styles was when he drank Anchor Steam. Anchor Steam inspired everybody. Yeah. I know, it's kind of stupid, actually. It's Because it's the same thing that happened to Ken Grossman, right? He drank Anchor Steam and was like, oh. Yeah, it's this realization that beer could be better than everything else that they were drinking. And, I mean, the steam beer from Anchor's, it's not a complex beer. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's not a, a aggressive style by any means. But, like, compared to what was available in those days, Oh yeah. mostly, like, it's just... It's in a different class. It's kind of like Brooklyn Lager. It's the same way. It's not a, you know, it wasn't a groundbreaking style. It was it was another lager. It was in the same style category as the macro beers. It was just so much better than the macro Like, oh, this has flavor. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's kind of funny how you didn't take a lot to really impress people. You know, it's still pretty simple beer just uh, just well you know and uh, with good ingredients and you could impress people with that so he was inspired by anger and his sort of angle at it was he was kind of upset that and this is kind of we'll see this theme sort of run through his whole his whole career at stone he's just kind of this hippie guy who's like um mad at the system mad at the the man for not letting you know oh beer can be this good why do we have this like crappy commercialized swill you know (laughs) we need more people making this good beer and yeah it's not it's not a necessarily a you know who knows if it's a good business model who knows if it's sustainable who knows but it doesn't matter it needs to be done you know he kind of had that attitude and yeah man <laughs> yeah he even talked about um how in his teenage years he had a lot of like gastrointestinal issues hmm. and he finally found somebody who sort of asked him like like well what is your diet you know what do you eat and he started to realize like he's he did a whole thing where he took out fast food and processed food and stuff like that and start try to eat more clean and all this all his problems went away and he just that was another sort of like this feeling this is kind of where he got that attitude of like against the man against the like system that was just telling him like no this is food there's something wrong with you maybe you should take this pill to make you better you know and all he just he needed was just clean up his diet so yeah so this has kind of been a theme of his life and that was one of the things he thought about when he drank this anchor beer was man this needs to be made more because like this highly commercialized poor ingredient 
beer is just not doing it so nice so, so good on him for being inspired well i i just also credit uh i just love the idea that anchor steam or anchor brewing was so good that it, <laughs> it inspired like multiple <laughs> other breweries to come into existence which i guess that's always kind of how it is but it's like it's a testament to like how influential they are and just i like i love that like hundreds of thousands of people probably drank there but like the craziest ones were like i could do this too you know like <laughs> right, right and they went yeah. and started their brew it's so cool <laughs> what's interesting is their first their first beer i believe was the stone pale ale i think that's correct. I getting that right and i think it was i mean i and guess that makes sense right it's kind of the sierra nevada vein yes it makes sense that's exactly kind of what you'd be making i feel like at the time because uh yeah sierra nevada was doing it and then um I think Russian River had their pale ale and yeah, everyone's just doing their pale ale and actually I think the it's retired, the stone pale ale. Yeah, I don't no, yeah, you don't They don't see even it. make it anymore, which is interesting kinda of interesting. Kind of a maybe a testament to like the modern beer scene too. But yeah, so I think that is kinda Well, I think uh, you know, that that one of their big things was to start really aggressively hopping stuff. Mm. So a lot of the West Coast style IPA I think they are kind of credited with creating that style. Uh, Green Green Flash, I think, is the other one. Was a popular hoppy beer. So anyway, it was just they sort of went the way of more aggressively hopping beers, kind of you know creating that style and getting uh, obviously getting away from the the boring pale ale. <laughs> just wasn't hoppy enough for them. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because like when pale ale was first introduced in America, it was like too hoppy for everybody. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah. So this is like the very first. Ten people. <laughs> yeah, this is like the very first shot of the hop war. Almost, it's like the yeah, the, probably. It's like the first escalation of the hop scene. Yeah, where it, like they wanted to like rush to not rush, but they slowly built up to like a hundred IBU. Yeah. So uh, I guess what I was saying was about the like sort of first wave, second wave. I think we kind of decided that the first wave was that anchor Sierra Nevada kind of early mid 80s breweries and then yeah. you you did have the second wave that was like inspired by them that i think includes maybe russian river probably i think russian river category. was 97 yeah so i think stone is actually even one year older than russian river so stone dogfish head new belgium new belgium was early 90s uh oscar blues was oh, mid 90s nice. left hand brewing so you had these um what i think probably would you could safely say are the second wave breweries where you now have the foundation is laid and they're just building on that foundation these breweries are still i mean obviously this list that the ones i just listed off are all all big parts of like the craft beer revolution and and bringing craft beer styles to to people that had never had those so they're important we're just, we just kind of came to the conclusion that well because stone was claiming on their website that they <laughs> <laughs> i think that the sentence they said is they kick-started the craft beer revolution in the united states and i took umbrage with that the, specific, the specificity of that statement. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because you literally told the story about being inspired by Anchor Brewing. And then it's like, so yes. Anchor Brewing kickstarted? <laughs> I think the word kickstart is reserved for the prime mover, which in this case is not stone. I'm yes. sorry. <laughs> and yeah, so the point was not to discredit the influence of stone and these early breweries like russian river and dogfish head and stuff but 
but to say that they were the original, I think I think we just kind of disagreed with that. I think it was definitely second wave. Yeah, and I'm gonna praise Stone a lot later in the episode, so I, we'll get I have there. I have good things to say about them too. I just I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So their first keg was sold in July of 1996 to uh, Pizza Place, the owner of which came and picked up the keg of Stone Pale Ale, and uh, dedication. It's kinda, yeah, it's kind of funny that um, it mentions how like Greg kind of got an unrealistic idea that people would actually come pick up the beer themselves, and yeah, they would have to actually deliver it. You're gonna have to buy a truck and start <laughs> delivering that, my friend. But, yeah. Yeah, and then the second beer, so that Stone Pale was the sort of staple, and then they set out in in December of 1996 to make a seasonal beer called Winterstone, which was a smoked porter. And they ended up having a lot of accounts say that they want that beer all the time. They were selling out and they they, they were like, you give us this beer, we're not going to sell any of your beer. <laughs> that's pretty good motivation to say, yeah, we'll just make it out. <laughs> yeah, that's some demand right there. Yeah. So, And I think like the good thing about San Diego is that you have this very temperate climate sort of all year round like you don't really need seasonal releases in san diego <laughs> just... they have some of the best weather in the united states for sure yeah it's like 70 yeah. ish degrees year like round all yeah. the time right yeah. yeah they get into the 80s and 90s every once in a while and they're like dying so <laughs> yeah right <laughs> So, yeah, so I think, like, the idea of a seasonal beer probably really didn't need to exist in that area because people would be willing to drink a smoked porter sort of all year round. So, kind of like that. There wasn't, yeah, their other sort of flagship was the Stone Wheat Beer. Those were kind of the really the three original pale ale, smoked porter, and the wheat beer, which, again, kind of funny because they are, there's so much talk about Stone's hoppy beers their ipas that really push the limits of uh, bitterness and what they tend to be kind of famous for but really mm-hmm. these three flagships were just a, a wheat a porter and a pale ale <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny well i don't think but you have to kind of gradually bring people into the yes exactly like yeah so these styles were challenging people yeah at the time they were yeah. already pretty challenging so and now is this when they start making well a beer that used to control i guess arrogant bastard <laughs> Well, let's see. So Stone IPA was 1997. Oh, okay. That's an important one. That was their first their anniversary. That's when they, they brewed Stone IPA for their first anniversary. Okay. So that was kind of their next big one. That's been a long time flagship. Oh, yeah. And they, I mean, they still make that. And that's iconic. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Stone IPA. You like Stone IPA? Yeah, you get you like that West Coast. I do love West Coast IPAs. So I have to I'll have to get one because I have not again like I I think I credit Stone a lot for my entry into craft beer, but I haven't really like returned to them if that makes sense because I'm a little bit like you. I'm a kind of a novelty seeker, mm-hmm. so I'm always looking for like the next thing, but. I know, like, on the podcast, I've been challenging myself to not only try new things, but to, like, revisit beers that got me into craft beer, like Lagunitas IPA, like, and 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 honestly, like, right now, for Arrogant Master Ale, and every time I go back um, to some of these, like, beers that originally got me into craft beer, I'm like, oh, man, these are still so good. Like, I don't know, you just, you can't really write them off. And that's kind of, like, what I wanted to say. I do want to pay a lot of respect to Stone and stuff like that, just because 
they really did carve out the craft beer scene. And like, I mean, the craft beer scene has evolved since then, but the kings are still like the titans of the craft beer. They're titans for a reason. So I really do need to drink. I haven't had a stone IPA in like, I don't know how many years, but I'm sure yeah. if I went back to it, I would love it. I have that same feeling about like High Ally. Mm, okay. Which was a beer, which is like a, uh, one of the first i mean i don't know i had that pretty early on before mm-hmm. trying a lot of other ipas and i remember like not liking it very much yeah but now returning to it and it is this very um i don't know it's kind of funny when you drink it it's not this i think we're so used to these juicy ipas now with all this like aggressive dry hopping and they're so aromatic and just tons of tropical flavors and stuff. And to go back to something that's a little bit more West Coast style, kind of balancing the malt with like a pine and kind of grapefruit bitterness. Like, it doesn't blow you away, but it's such a solid style of beer. Yes. So I, I think that the same thing when I go back to Lagunitas IPA, when I go back to Stone IPA, I think, you know, you could talk about, you think, you could say the same thing about Pliny the Elder, right? It's just people will say, oh, it's not that great of a beer. Or, There's so many beers now that are better or whatever. But I don't know. These are just like the most solid it's versions like, of style. And I, I mean, it's like, it's kind of like music. It depends on like when you got into the scene. Because I do wonder if people that get in, if someone got into craft beer right now, today, and they got into like pale ales and then they got into like East Coast IPAs, like where, um, you know, there's like, it's all the dry hop, double dry hop, it's like not bitter at all. I really wonder like how long it would take them to get in, if they would get into it at all, like West Coast IPAs, you know what I mean? So like, I just feel like that's, that was the music, aka the beer that was popular when I got into craft beer. So I think it's the best. <laughs> And, but yes. I, so I think people that get into beer now are like, no, this is the best. And it's just like, <laughs> it's going to continue on as it has continued, as that's, you know, it's like a generational thing. It's like everyone always thinks the music they grew up with is the best. And so now it, now it's smoothie sours. <laughs> yeah. And just like, but then there's like, oh, and that's why you become an old grumpy old man is because you try to like, you're like, no, I've been around and I've drank all this stuff. But like, you still have the same bias. You just like, like. <laughs> <laughs> you're just older but you like like whatever you broke into the scene on so i do have like an affinity to the west coast style but but that's just a you're just a product of your time yeah it's probably timing and craft beer like i could argue like what i really like about west coast styles is exactly what you said it's like the balance between the malt and the hops where like as i feel like the newer styles they like there's no malt they like strip it out they tone it all down like they're just focusing on like the tropical hop flavors and they tone down the bitterness as much as they can too it's i just oh it's it's like it's pilsner it's like super light malts and then like oh adjunct you're right like it's all mouthfeel. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's not. And about- for me, I do really like those, but it's inelegant almost to me because it's like you stripped out a whole element of the beer, or maybe even two elements, if you want to say like mm-hmm. a, a core element of an IPA is like that it's bitter, which I don't know. I guess it's arguable. You've yeah. like hyper focused on this one part of the beer, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but to me, like the kings of. And again, this is my bias, but it's like the West, the perfect West Coast IPA is like better than all these. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but that's all subjective. And that's part of the fun part of the beer as a hobby. Like there's no right answer. Right. So anyway, sorry, that's quite a tangent. But um, this, no, uh, I think that's a good perspective. Is kicking in. So let's get to Arrogant Bastard. That was 1997. Okay. Fall of 1997 is when Arrogant Bastard was accidentally made. <laughs>
<laughs> accidentally yeah that's great they liked it i mean i think i guess i wouldn't say that's true of a lot of beers but especially this early on 80s and 90s a lot of this is just experiments and what hops can you get and what malts can you get and you know there isn't it's just so different than today today you can make anything you want and manipulate the water as much as you want and i don't know it's just uh it's kind of crazy so i i think it's interesting that they would like stumble upon a <laughs> yes. you know it's not dialed in right, right. like it, it is now where they would they could even have the possibility of stumbling on basically a new style or a beer that just blows them away and then go like oh, wait did you write all that down <laughs> well i we, mean we can recreate this right <laughs> it's the meta right like we're not to in the danger of going on another long tangent but like it's like we live for tangents on attenuation of your podcast the meta always ruins everything. So, like, what I mean by the meta is, like, when stuff starts to get solved. And I'll delve into your universe at my own personal risk of being wrong. But baseball, like, for example, do you feel this like... It's going to be fun. <laughs> baseball is, like, more of a solved game now. Like, ever since they started doing... Was that one book or movie about, like, when they started doing analytics to baseball? Moneyball. Moneyball. And it's like, I'm more interested in things before like the meta is established. So I feel like the post meta ball baseball universe is less dynamic and interesting because like they start to solve aspects of the game. And then you can't really deviate from that because they've already calculated every iteration and this is the best possible path to take. And I feel like the meta has been reached in craft beer too. Like where in these early days when they were trying stuff out, it was everything's exciting and new. And now like beer is kind of what you said. It's like solved. You can dial in the pH, you can dial in everything. You can get Mm -hmm. these new products where you don't even have to use. They're like um, taking out aspects. uh, Like what did we talk about a couple of weeks ago with the, um, the hop extracts and stuff like that, where, right. You can guarantee there's like no off flavors and like, I don't know, there's something sad about when something is so solved like that, that makes that I'm less of a fan of. Like I'm more about the creative age and the the spirit of exploration and experimentation. Like another analogy, I know I'm making sports analogies. This is so bad and you can correct (laughs) me. But do you remember in the NFL, there was a very brief window where they were running like wildcat offense. Right. It was making me so excited because there's like this is like a alternative offense style. And but the problem with the NFL is like everything is so solved and like they're going to watch a thousand people are going to watch the videos of the game and analyze how to defeat like your suboptimal style. But like. Watching people play Wildcat is so cool because it's different and it's exciting, but it will eventually just get annihilated by the meta and everything has to be forced back into like, no, this is the only possible path forward. So anyways, that's a big tangent to say. Well, the the problem then, is with the, yeah. the problem is the wildcat is hinges on um, half the people not being like good enough for the NFL. You know, yes. like when when you get to the NFL, the, the fastest people and they can just destroy the wildcat offense. So. But I love your baseball analogy too because I've struggled with this over the last few years because they've done all these shifts they do all these offensive shifts where they put all the players on one side of the field because that's where the player hits i mean they have analytical data on like every single player i mean you'll have a this year this is this year they had a rookie this is a guy who just came up in the minors yeah he has like almost no at bats in the major leagues and they've shifted on him like they have analytical data from the minor leagues they have it's insane it's like what (laughs) um so but i i've struggled with what um should and shouldn't be allowed in baseball and how to 
get around that. And anyway, I, I, I love that analogy because I think you're right. I think it's now, you know, humans, we ruin everything. <laughs> we, sir- we certainly do. <laughs> and we, 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 right. Yeah, you're right. We've, we've dialed in beer so much that the, because I think I've struggled with this too, with the home brewing that I've done. I haven't done a lot, but it's like part of me when I get to the end of a home brew is like, oh, why am I drinking this? Like I can drink so much better beer all the time like why am i drinking my own crappy beer that i made you know but these people loved that right like they embraced that they just made their own beer and drank it one because they didn't have as many good craft beers available so what they were making for themselves was the best beer it was better than any beer you could buy at the sh- at the store it's just weird how just depending on what time you are uh, or where you are in a timeline. Yes. Dictates well, yeah, like, so much about what your be, face is. Or what you're... Yeah, and there could be the same personality profile and innovation and talent of Greg Koch could be born right now. But, like, he will not start the next great brewery because this scene is so saturated. Like, it's not happening. You know what I mean? Like, the competition yeah. is so fierce. Like, I don't think... There will never be, maybe there will be, but I can't, I just don't know if there's going to be another like breakout beer style that like no one saw coming. Cause I feel like we've already like, <laughs> we've already like sifted through all of history and like found every possible beer style and now make them. So I don't know. In certain ways it's good. In certain ways the like the romance of it has been completely drained away. Yeah. Why is this so sad? Why is this such a depressing I feel like this episode? is such a good <laughs> This is such a good conversation for Stone, too, because I think what they stood for was, like, against the system. And, I mean, we're kind of getting, jumping the shark a little bit to talk about how they, they inevitably sold. Like, it's almost like uh, this is a, this whole episode is, like, an analogy for the fact that, like, even this brewery that was, like, uh, founded on the fighting the system, like, eventually succumbs to it. Like, yeah. <laughs> this, the, the great... <laughs> The the man is the great destroyer, Stephen, and he will always win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like 2016. We're not even close to that yet, but 2016 was sort of peak Greg Coke. Like he was on this, and I think at that point you'd had multiple sellouts, right? Mm-hmm. And I, uh, um, he even mentioned going to the Burbank Airport in LA and seeing this all these beers on tap, and it was like. 10 different IPAs, mm. but one was 10 barrel, one was Golden Road, one was, they were all AB InBev owned. Yep. And you could walk up there as someone who doesn't know a lot about craft beer or like is, you know, has your finger on the pulse of craft beer or whatever. And you could think, oh my gosh, I have 10 different IPAs to choose from. That's a lot. That's, this is crazy. And not realizing that all of them were brewed at a Budweiser facility. <laughs> and so it's this like illusion of choice that really fired him up this like you're like you have this veil pulled out uh, pulled over your eyes like oh yeah you have so many different choices in craft beer and yet all of these breweries are just owned by a big conglomerate that could be you know cutting corners or using crappy ingredients and he just he hated that he hated that idea so i feel like 2016 was really peak like he that that's when he was saying things like i will never sell out i will <laughs> never do that and he was like you know making videos about how much yes, he there may or may not be a video where he is filmed <laughs> in black and white with somber yet emotional music in the background talking about in very hyperbolic terms about how you will never sell out. He is not tempted by money, nor would he ever enjoy the fruits that money could supply, such as flying first class. Or having a yacht. 
Yeah, yeah. Which are two make... very different levels of wealth, by the way. Flying first class and having a yacht <laughs> are like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he makes a lot of references to the the allure and the uh, of the almighty dollar and how you have to balance like because the almighty dollar is important right because you need people to buy your beer it's it's not like it's unimportant to him but there's like a limit to you know like to just selling out so that you can retire and sit on a yacht or sit on the beach forever and like not, you know, without principles, without saying like, no, I made this thing for a reason and I want to keep doing it this way and, and just cashing out. So I, I will say and we'll get there to the at the end that I don't think that that was what motivated his sale was to just go retire and sit on a big pile of cash. So yeah, I don't I don't I don't think, I don't so think his motivations ever change. I just think the the end result had to change and it, it's he's getting a lot of flack for it. So um but we'll get there but i think uh it's important to recognize they they had a barley wine they were very much influenced by the barley wines of of course anchor old foghorn sierra nevada bigfoot and then old crustacean from rogue ales in oregon so they made their own barley wine called old guardian barley wines are man i love barley wines i gotta get i really need to drink more of those you gotta drink more i think that's your next that's your next not when it's 105 style no not when it's 105 you gotta wait till winter buddy (laughs) so yeah they made a barley wine they continued to up their hop game and and they their second anniversary stone ipa was even more hopped than the first they were really pushing the hop game they were making arrogant bastard even stronger with the double bastard and really trying to sort of push the envelope and the limits and then they get to the imperial russian stout which is so funny because now it's such a style that is pretty universal in craft beer but at the time like even the alcohol and tobacco bureau they didn't even know how to classify these beers because the alcohol was so high that's a pretty fun story yeah i think um was it anchor maybe with old foghorn i can't remember who it was or maybe it was sierra nevada but they they didn't even know what to call that barley wine style because or they didn't even know how to classify it like as wine or beer or what the mm-hmm. alcohol level <laughs> I think it's so funny. Those stories, I think this is a scotch story, but I love when you see like the weird intersection between regulation and it's something that's like divergent from popular consumption. I'm not 100% sure if this is true. Maybe I'll postscript it, but Lafroig, which is a Isla scotch, it's incredibly peaty. Like if you weren't familiar with Isla and you drank it, you'd swear you're drinking like medicine. It tastes like medicine. I think it tastes amazing. <laughs> but apparently, and people used to use it as medicine. Like, you know, you feel a little under the weather. You take a, sh- you just drink a little dram of uh, uh, Isla scotch and you feel Duh. better because, yeah, well, that all makes you feel better. But yeah. But apparently during Prohibition, you were still allowed to drink Lafroy because no one could conceive or like the FDA and maybe this or whoever the regulatory body was. I'll double check this, but was like couldn't conceive of someone drinking this to get drunk because it, <laughs> it was tastes so awful. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I do like these stories of like where they don't even know how to classify some of these things. It's like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. So they 
the Russian Imperial Stout was definitely a, uh, a tricky one for the the uh, alcohol bureau. But they and in the write up they say after much research and many aspirin later. <laughs> implying they needed to drink a bunch of it to figure it out which oh, yeah. <laughs> i like that yeah um one of the fun things that stone has done over the years is a uh, april 1st april fool's joke they have a long-running uh, april fool's joke or they you know a tradition where they put out on april 1st some beer that they're gonna make but it's just a joke the first one was in 2002 they said they were brewing a beer called extreme lemony lime <laughs> Which sounds like a beer that would be made now for real. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Their joke from yeah, they should have done lemony lime hard seltzer. <laughs> yeah, became a reality. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So you can actually go online and from the Stone website and click the link to their archive of April first april fool's jokes it's pretty funny you can look look over the 20 odd years of different jokes like bastard oxide which, which is the, said uh they, they put what they put in the glass was mountain dew liquid dish soap glitter and they like backlit it <laughs> Nice. Which again sounds like a beer that would be made today. Yeah, that sounds like something Stephen would <laughs> drink today. I think you drank that beer with glitter on the podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, they called it Oxide Energy Ale. <laughs> nice. They were real trendsetters. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, lately the the April Fool's joke is a big thing now. Actually, yeah. like that the uh, in the gaming universe, Blizzard always does a really good April first joke. It's kind of it loses some of its luster when you know they're gonna do it every year, but yeah, um, the first couple times they do it, it's pretty amazing. Well, I think what's funny is even now because you you know people are gonna companies are gonna do that and stuff, but you're just mindlessly scrolling through Instagram and <laughs> yeah. you'll see this post and you're like, what? And then you kind of look down at the date and you go, uh, oh. like you don't fall for it anymore. But it's still funny because you just think, oh, I remember when uh, this is actually not April 1st, but the game Cards Against Humanity. Yes. They used to do a Black Friday sale okay. where it was more expensive. Nice. To buy That's it on that day. <laughs> <laughs> and people would buy it. It's so funny. People are so weird. After the episode, I'll tell you. Something about Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> How it's apples to apples for, for people that aren't funny. Is that... <laughs> Shh. I know how you feel about Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> it's apples to apples for people who aren't naturally funny. Naturally funny. Okay, okay. Because the cards like make that. the jokes for you. <laughs> gotcha, okay. Don't out me, Steven. You, you didn't even have to wait till that. <laughs> I'm a nice person. I know you are. I just... <laughs> I just know how you feel about apples. Or sorry, cards against humanity. I know how I feel about apples. Because you're naturally funny, so. No, no I didn't say that. I just made general observation. Oh my goodness. Okay, man, where are we? Okay, let's just fast forward over yes. this because we all know Stone makes some great beers, and they've done it for a really long time. And like I said, even all the way until 2016. Uh, oh, I do want to give them credit for one more thing before we okay. get to the sale. Yeah, go, go. Enjoy by. I really think, and I could be wrong, but I feel like Stone deserves a lot of credit for kind of like educating the beer drinking 
consumer that you need to drink IPAs when they're fresh because they very bravely, I think, made a series of IPAs. I don't even know if they still do this, but they literally wrote the title of the beer would be like enjoy by 9, 10, 2022. And that's a pretty ballsy thing to do because <laughs> if it says that on the bottle and it, you don't sell it by that date, uh, I don't think people are going to buy it, right? <laughs> yeah. Like if I walk into the grocery store and it's December and I see a bottle of beer that says like enjoy by September, I'm going to pass it up. But I think that really kind of put it out there that like no these beers are better when they're fresher because that's something even that was an idea that i feel like even i was a little bit resistant to like how big of a difference can it really make but yeah 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 no they really put themselves out there with that and i think they deserve a lot of credit for kind of like getting that idea out there because I, I think the first time i started to see those bottles when i was when i started to really look into the fact like oh no you really need to enjoy these fresh to get the full experience they're going to still going to be good later on but you do some of those flavor profiles do degrade pretty quick so big props to stone for that i think they're that is partially if not totally responsible for beers putting the bottle like almost every beer now that's an ipa style if it's coming from a good brewery should have a date on it yeah. and i i think they're partially if not totally responsible for that yeah if there's not a greater summary than of like <laughs> a craft beer journey is like thinking well the first time i went to russian river and seeing people leave with crates of pliny the elder and on like in big lettering on the side saying like keep cold drink fresh and thinking oh my god like how beer snobby can you <laughs> yeah, get yeah i saw people buy those and put them into coolers oh wow so they and were i really... thought what is wrong with this human <laughs> And now I'm like, ooh, if I go to Russian River, I should bring my cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Keep and it that's the full fresh. Journey. That's the full journey. Drink it the freaking next day, bro. <laughs> yeah. Week oh, later, okay. that stuff is oh, terrible. It's dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Sorry. Now you may jump to. I wanted to put that praise into stone before we we talk about the sale. Okay. Well, okay. So there are a few things to talk about too before there. So they opened some big restaurants. They opened a big brew pub in Escondido, which is like northern San Diego. They, I believe, still, at least recently, are third on the list of top destinations in northern San Diego. The first one being Lego, or the first one being the Wild Animal Park, right? The Safari Park, which is, of course, huge. Legoland is the second, and then third is Stone Brewing. So that's pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah. And I've been to their brew pub. I don't think it's. I haven't been to the Escondido one. But I've been to the one that's. Uh, it's kind of close to the airport in San Diego. It's beautiful. It's amazing. One of the things I love about going to a brew pub for a brewery like Stone is that, yes, you can go to the grocery store and they have national distribution. You can go to the grocery store, you can get Stone IPA, you can get Ruination Ale, you can get Arrogant Bastard, you can get all these flagship beers from them. But you go to their brew pub and their menu is so fun. They have like an R&D section where it's just all stuff you've never heard of and never drank before and things that they're working on and that's my favorite thing about going to even when i would go to ballast point the tap rooms in either san diego or um, anaheim at the at Dis downtown disney they always had stuff that you would never find in the store for these breweries that are like really big and, and have these like nationally distributed flagship beers so oh, i love that that's really fun because i think like that's part of the draw of these like smaller local breweries is that they just have all these like rotating beers constantly brewing different styles and mm -hmm. 
new things and like you feel like you don't get that out of breweries like stone and lagunitas and stuff but if you yeah. go to the actual tap rooms they always have fun stuff. that's where the magic is yeah yeah that's, 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 that's cool so yeah so they're um they ended up having 12 total locations, tap rooms and brew pubs. They opened a brew pub in Germany, in Berlin. So they opened a brew pub in Berlin. This is one of the things, one of the decisions that somewhat led to their downfall. Mm. They did not, I don't think that they realized how hard it would be to break into the European market. They're sort of idea from the very beginning has been like they don't advertise their first their very first building and tap room barely had any signage hard to find they kind of always sort of been like that like if you want to find stone you can find it but it's not advertised or you know it's not always in the easiest to find location they did that in the same thing in berlin they found this old abandoned some sort of shop and they turned it into this new brew pub but again no big signage kind of out of the way in a difficult location to find but they you know i i think they did have some success there but again it's just not an easy market to break into as an american brewery in germany i mean it makes some sense i think but yeah i think it was one of those decisions that just did not make them as much money as they thought and they kind of started to lose money they of course got somewhat litigious in their yes, we talked the about past that. few years we've talked about their lawsuit against keystone light and their use of the word stone highlighting the word stone on their can which, which i 100 percent agree with by the way <laughs> <laughs> i think that that was an, that can was egregious yeah so they're they won 56 million dollars in that lawsuit still nowhere near like the debt they were in at that point right um and they were really uh, i think struggling financially and i think this is sort of the The cracks are beginning to show yeah exactly so they opened that brewery in berlin in 2009 in 2016 they started a thing called true craft which was their effort to get to gather um independent investors Mm -hmm. and invest in basically become like a, a way to help small craft breweries succeed or find the money that they needed to expand or that kind of thing without having to turn to the big conglomerates. Okay. So yeah. They basically wanted to like create a place where they could, where those breweries could turn to get like funding um, and investment. Yeah. To funding. Yeah. Stuff to, right. To stay independent. I don't, from what I could tell, I don't believe they ever actually gave any money <laughs> to any breweries. It just didn't, quite pan out the way this is the equivalent of when uh independent craft beer wanted to raise like five billion dollars <laughs> or whatever to buy in bev and then they realized oh that's a big number yeah yeah so let, i'm gonna give you a, a, a sort of interesting dichotomy so you have stone the other very big brewery in san diego that was kind of their competitor for a long time was carl strauss oh interesting carl strauss is still independent really very independent okay i will tell you the big difference carl strauss from the very beginning decided that they would only distribute in california and in surround like just in the very sort of kind of san diego surrounding areas of the big market and then kind of 
out into California a little bit, but that's it. And that's all they ever wanted to sort of expand to. I think that's important. Yeah. Now it's a strategic. They were kind of strategic before their time, almost. Yeah, because look at look at the breweries that have sold out recently. Bells, New Belgium, Stone, Dogfish Head. Um, I don't know. There's all these breweries that if you distri- if you want to become nationally distributed, at some point you have to just give in, right? Like you're you're becoming the thing you don't you didn't want to be. Yeah, and that's kind of. I mean, obviously, I don't know enough about this, but just purely speculating, it's part of like the market saturation, right? It's like the beer scene is so competitive. That I feel like, you know how like people are always, it's like the World War One World War Two thing, but people are always preparing to fight the last war. And then when they get into the new war, they realize <laughs> like, oh, none of these tactics work. Oh, no. But I yeah. kind of feel like a lot of breweries are expanding in a, or, or historically have been expanding in a way that's like, it would have worked like a decade ago, but it does not work now. I don't know if you can do it anymore without, you know, joining one of these larger conglomerates to get the cost savings of the logistics and all that stuff. But yeah. It's a rough so, market. Yeah, so you see these like a lot of these breweries that you would think of as mid nineties breweries, right? These second wave breweries, they had that sort of like, oh, we're gonna we're making great beer now and we're gonna get it to everybody. And in that they destroyed themselves. Because you have this first wave that I think stayed independent, right? So you're Nevada, Anchor, right? The those places are staying independent. You have the second wave that has a ton of names in it that are all selling out and now you have this like maybe i don't know how many waves since then that are a lot more smaller and more independent it's kind of interesting there's this there's a small class of graduates yeah (laughs) from the 90s that have made this mistake of growing too too big and carl strauss is actually an exception to that because they came out of the 90s and they just decided no we want to stay right here in san diego yeah and it's that it's actually very very super interesting kind of comparison between those two breweries yeah that is interesting that could be a topic in of itself i know right so and yeah and another interesting thing and and greg coke actually admitted this in his he he wrote a big long thing about selling to sapporo and one of the things he wrote was that like the idea of hey telling people like hey go to your local brewery buy local buy your local craft beer was like good for them and then bad for them (laughs) oh because they became too big Right. It was good for them until they were not the local beer that you yeah. went down the street for. They became. What did I say yeah. last episode? It's like yeah, either yeah, die yeah. the hero or you live long enough to become the villain. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I think he is he's taken a lot of heat. He has. And he, and he knows. Right. He nobody's more. He's very self-aware. Right. He's he very, made a black and white aware. video with somber music yeah. <laughs> talking about how he wasn't going to do this. He's very aware of the mistake he made by saying never for a long time i will say the only thing that i think saves him in some ways is that i really think he did this to save the thing that he loves yeah. and did not do it just to cash out and go live the rest of his life um comfortably by yeah. selling selling out no i cut him a lot of slack i mean it was a hyperbolic statement but it was 2016 and 2016 is a might as well yeah. be 50 years away from 2022 as far as <laughs> concerned like we live yeah. in a totally different universe and like yeah and i don't know i cut him slack it's like what i said in the uh we did a whole episode on selling out and i said i couldn't you know i don't think this is the case in this case but i couldn't say no to the money there's, there's no way yeah <laughs> i would yeah. never make i would never say never because i know 
I have a price. <laughs> and it and it may even be even easier to say yes when you it, you think it's going to at least save the thing yes. that you've put so much of you your don't life see it into. Die. Right. And I think I think the hope too the the bright side is saying look i know that these big conglomerates have realized that the that the best investment is to just leave it how it is right like you can acquire them but just but like don't mess with the beer don't mess with the tap rooms don't mess you know ballast point lesson exactly don't mess with never be forgotten working yeah yeah so i think how to lose a billion dollars yeah (laughs) (laughs) overnight yeah um yeah, so I think that gave Greg Coke a little bit of comfort, knowing that not a lot of that is going to be messed with. It's not this like death sentence to the beer that they made and the people that already work there that the he, you know, I think that he loves and appreciates get to keep working there. So yeah. Anyway, I th- I think there is a good side. I, <laughs> I will say, just watching videos of him, he just does seem a little full of himself. So. <laughs> <laughs> And I hate people like that. But hey, he started a brewery. That's like a he started a brewery. game. But. Yeah. Um, I'll make a I'll, another, I'll go on a weird tangent here. But I think the other reason I feel a little bit for him is that I grew up a like super religious person. Well, I wouldn't say super religious, but I grew up in a very religious family and in a like a fundamental religious religion. And so like I think about who I was, I don't know, 20 years ago. And I had like I held beliefs 20 years ago that I just do not hold now since now leaving that religion and probably said some like very ignorant things and stupid things. And so I hate to just be held to like the standard of what I believed 20 years ago because just ideas change experience changes and so i do give him a little slack because the the whole brewery landscape changed and so to hold him to what he felt even like you said in 2016 seems like an eternity ago for what has now um transpired in in the brewery landscape so you have to you have to cut him a little bit of slack absolutely and you don't know the whole story yeah like what you said it could very well be that he's trying to save the company and is this an ideal outcome? Maybe not, but maybe it was the best option that he had out of all available options. So Yeah. I do think they need to update this timeline though with the support. <laughs> 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 they've, they've happened to omit that from their timeline. <laughs> exactly. They just stopped in March twenty twenty two updating it. <laughs> They're like, Oh, the timeline is over. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's our history. <laughs> I mean, technically it is, right? Yeah. Sure, that's true. There's Sapporo now. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, that was a great wrap. Yeah, quite an episode. I feel like uh, there's the seeds of another episode in there that we might have to explore. But yeah, I think we can wrap that. That's a episode. Oh, wait, hold on. Whoa. Got that whole arrogant bastard yelling in me. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> You can yeah, reach out. Give us a give us the social media deets. Sorry, yeah, I gotta give you guys the deets. So you can reach out to us. We're on Instagram at attenuation.podcast. Feel free to slide into our DMs with all your hot takes on this episode. And also, also like and subscribe. Yes, we need reviews on iTunes. Review us. If you haven't reviewed it, I know how many listeners we have and we don't have that many reviews. So Yeah, so if you, you want to put a five star review, put it on iTunes store. If you want to do four or less, send it to us directly in our Instagram DMs and we'll delete it. Uh, I'm just blue. kidding. <laughs> and you can also reach us at contact.attenuation.gmail. This has been episode 68 of Attenuation of your podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since 8th grade, Stephen.
That's me. And we're saying cheers. And we'll see you next week for episode 69. Nice. I couldn't even get through that. What am I, like five years old? (laughs) It's amazing. I was like, he's going to do it. I know he's going to do it. Nice. All right. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Attenuation of Your Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram or Facebook for more fun content. Catch you next week. Cheers. Cheers.